G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm covering the best and worst suburb price performers of 2021. I'm not only just going to go through blindly through the data and tell you what appears to have increased, I'm going to go through how to use median price data, what are some of the ways it can be distorted, over what sort of periods is the accuracy when using the data and how I go about using all of this for suburb selection. And I'll be gleaning what insights I can from uh, the data that we've we've got. And it's a nice way to reflect on how our market's going overall as well. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. I don't know about you, but I tend to cringe every time I see news headlines with growth rates or hotspots being uh, blindly quoted without any real thought to what they actually mean or represent. And I don't pretend to know it all when it comes to statistics, I barely say the word, but I thought I would share some of my insights as to how the median price data can be used, what it actually means, and then take a look at some of the best and worst performance of 2021 and some of the other ways that we can draw conclusions from this data. So what is the median house price anyway? Well, it's the price that half the properties in a region, whether that be a suburb or a submarket or the whole of Perth, half of them have sold above that price and half of them have sold below. Some people get confused as to whether it's an average. An average is very different. That's all of the prices summed up and divided by the number. This is represent supposed to represent, I guess, the typical, what's the typical property in the area been selling for. So where is the median price data found and where can you find it? Well, there's plenty of places. It's actually really readily available. Places like Rewood website, CoreLogic, realestate.com, many, many places will have median price data. And because it's so readily available, it, that's also why it's so readily used to distort and usually unknowingly misguide the public. So typically people use it to write articles on hotspots or where's been hot or where you should invest and they don't often even consider how the median price can be distorted. And some of the ways that this can happen is that there can be a whole bunch of new housing that's created in an area that pushes the median price up. Yes, that can mean that more properties that are being sold are being sold that are higher and and newer, but it doesn't mean that there's been real price growth to the older stock in an area, to the established properties in that area. That's why you have to look through to, does this represent the typical price change of the typical property or is it being distorted by new housing? Another way that things can be distorted is that more premium properties in a particular area could have been selling and pushing the median price up. I know in in some of the more premium areas, a lot of they can be tightly held. They can sit off market waiting for a time to sell over the last few years. One comes on in the street, in, in a really great street, they set a new price record. 
and a whole bunch in that street come on and sell and that can happen and ripple through and if more premium properties are selling, that's going to distort the median house price and not necessarily represent what's happening to the typical property. Another big one and way that things can be distorted is to what extent are homes being substantially renovated or extended? Because if that's happening to a lot of properties and then they're ongoing and being sold, it doesn't necessarily represent a change in price to the typical property that's in the area. It just means that the typical property that's selling is selling higher, if that makes sense, because they've had a lot more work put into them, a lot been renovated, been extended, and yes, they are going to get more. So this can cause an increase in the values of the median house price. Now, the final one, which I've barely ever seen mentioned when they're putting their stats across, and it can be a cause of a lot of distortion, is how much sales volume how many properties have actually been sold over that year and does that represent enough properties to be statistically reliable now i'm not not being a statistician myself i'm not sure whether that number represents 50 properties or 100 properties but i also know when you're looking at quarterly data there's certainly not many sales to go into that no matter what suburb you're looking at and i tend to arrive on thinking that we need at least 50 sales to be able to make some kind of reasonable comparison and enough sample size so that the statistic means something, median house price means something and can be compared against the previous year. So these factors and others will determine how closely the median house price or median unit price reflects the typical area. And while we're on um, units, that's another way that things can be distorted is units are all lumped together with apartments and flats and townhouses and villas all together. So if you see the median unit price go up, uh, unit, the unit data is subject to even more potential distortion because it can mean that a whole bunch of townhouses have sold in the last year. And they might even be new townhouses versus established stuff. So if townhouses are selling compared to the old flats, they're all lumped together as a unit, then of course you're going to see the median unit price go jump up drastically in an area. So lots of different factors can go into distorting that figure. So how can median house price be used? Well, because it's so readily available, it can give us a good guide as to what is happening to selling prices in a suburb or a region or across the whole metro area or the state. And what I do know is that changes to the median house price should not be relied upon when you're looking at short periods of time. Definitely not quarterly even yearly, which is why I prefer to look at as long a term a trend that I can get my hands on reliable data for. And in the past, in other episodes, you may have heard me say that I had a special study done by Reba to compile 30 years of data going back to where as far as they could get reliable data for a decent number of suburbs. And 30 years was that magic number. I haven't seen it available to the public or anywhere else and i use that data to form the basis of what of how we provide our suburb recommendations in our in our buyers pack which is for a very minimal cost and includes a number of other things in our buyers pack to help people make the right selection um, both at the suburb level and at the area and property level so get in touch if you want to get a copy of our buyers pack very minimal cost and it's just 
our way of helping people make a better choice in the front end. So I prefer to use the 30-year data, and that can be very helpful because if it's been grown in the past over that period and it's still desirable and there's no reasons that it would have changed, then it's likely to continue to be sought after in the future. And even a difference of 1% or 2% compounded, well, 2% compounded on the median house price of 500-odd thousand would equal around 1.1 million in 30 years if you're holding a property for that long. So that's the difference it can make and why it's so important to to be choosing a suburb with the long-term in mind. Now, how do other people use median house price and, and potentially use it wrong? I see investors specifically buying into suburbs based on how well the median has performed over the last year or even five years with many thinking that if there's been recent growth, there will continue to be. They go where things are hot. So by doing this, they can be pretty sure that it's hot now, but for how much longer and will the growth continue over the long term? Well, I, I don't have answers to either of those last two questions, and that's why I prefer to land on proven history of long-term performance and not you know, be steered to where something's hot now because it's usually not hot for long. And some of the research I've done will prove that to you later on. So hang in there. We'll cover that in a minute. Now, the other way that uh, median price data can be used is when looking at a concept of mean reversion. It's basically that if a suburb has underperformed, when you compare the one-year, five-year and 10-year data, you could compare that to, say, the 30-year data to see which areas have recently underperformed and there's a good case that they'll revert to the long-term average and can be an area to focus on. So that way you're still using 30-year data, but you're choosing somewhere that will be more likely to jump up up and revert back to its longer-term mean or average using the one- and five-year data. So that can definitely be worth doing. Very uh, hard to crunch those kind of numbers and even have all the data side by side. And it's certainly not something that that I can process uh, for anyone, but I have heard of people doing it. So the other way that median price data can be used is when you're focusing on a given suburb and you might have two or three suburbs that are next to each other and their long-term average growth rates are very similar. So you're focusing on all three or four. doesn't bother you which one a property comes up in. It can be worth comparing the current median prices of the suburbs around that area to see if a particular suburb represents better value compared to others because uh, you can then go deeper to see if actual prices reflect this down on the suburb level. But top level, medium price, if, if a particular suburb's looking, yep, this is looking a lot better value than the others, there's merit to thinking that if the other suburbs have had a big jump in prices, buyers will look to the surrounding suburbs instead. And this is how price growth can ripple out, uh, usually starting in inner and coastal suburbs. And then when people get priced out of those suburbs, they have no choice but to look further inland or outwards. And this is what we call the ripple effect, where price growth you know, ripples outwards and uh, inland. And this can be not a bad way to assess uh, choosing one suburb over, say, you know, 
three or four others that are in an area and focusing your search on what is relatively undervalued and the ripple might not have gotten to yet. That's something that is definitely worth considering. Albeit in this market with things so tight, uh, the right property can come up and I'd suggest, you know, if it's got a good long-term 30-year proven history and when you look down at the individual suburb level, if it's got the proven history on the prop- individual property rather, then you'd be crazy not to pull the trigger on that uh, and get in because even time in market, six or 12 months ahead, it could be another 10, 15, 20% above what you're paying now. And uh, there's, I think there's lots ahead for the majority of suburbs this year. So what has been in the top 15 suburbs for growth in median house price over the last year? Make a little drum roll noise and let's go through these suburbs. So number one with 41% growth was Bicton. Bicton's median house price is 1.2. It seems to have had a big jump and uh, obviously more premium properties getting sold there to push that up um, and some real growth too, no doubt. Uh, so other suburbs here like that are two, three, and four is Claremont, City Beach, and Cottesloe, all premium end sort of properties. And yes, it's hard to tell whether that's all real price growth. Um, And that's ranging between 32% and 40% for those suburbs. And then we've got some other, another premium suburb of Trigg at number five. Then we start to get into some lower end areas, like we've got Medina at number six, which has had 30.6% growth. And some of that could be distorted as well. There is newer pockets in Medina. Then at number seven, we've got South Guildford and eight is Stratton. So both quite close to each other. Stratton's the first sort of uh, second other low, lower end priced um, area. Medina um, being the lowest of all in the top 15. And then we've got uh, one and up at 26%. And I know that's distorted. My parents used to live down there. There's a lot of new housing in there. So I'm just pointing out where the stats cannot be worth really uh, representative of the typical change. And then at number 10, we've got Dalkeith. Number 11, Cooling Up, which has had 25% growth. When we've to round out the top 15, we've got Sorrento, Armadale, Maddington and Darlington. So all of these have had somewhere between 23% and 41% at the top top end of the spectrum for Bicton. So what are some of the observations that we can take from looking at this group of top 15? Keep in mind that I've only looked at suburbs that have had 50 or more sales for the year. So that did rule quite a few out. And when we look deeper at these 15, there's a really broad price range of the suburbs so it's showing that growth at this stage is not just at the premium end anymore it's uh throughout the whole market especially when we look at the lower end suburbs we've got armadale maddington stratton and medina there's been you know uptick in median house price in those that's significant but three of those four are still below their prices from five years ago. So Armadale's still the most below, and it's still 13.5% down on its price from five years ago. So that tells me that there certainly can be some more potential recovery ahead 
for those lower-end areas uh, to at least get back to where they were. But it also tells me that, hey, if, if I had a property in there and I'd bought any time in the last five years, I'd still likely be down on my price too. So, you know, many investors and other people that own and owners that own property in there, they're still licking their wounds, still not back to where they were. And that's very notable. And if our growth for whatever ahead gets chopped short, there's always the possibility of, of that happening, but I doubt it. Uh, you know, I'm very favourable. We have a very strong year, but that's why, uh, you know, those lower ends, if, if things did get cut short, could miss out entirely on being further ahead than where they were. So particularly of interest to me when considering how these top 15 have performed compared to their 30-year averages, average annual growth rates, only five have actually performed above average compared to others in this in their price point out of the 15. What does that mean? Only five out of 15 have been a good long-term investment option as far as I'm concerned. So if you went and blindly chose suburbs that have just performed over the last year and you invested in them because they've have done well recently it doesn't mean they've on uh, you know over only a third of them have actually done well long term so you shouldn't be using that as your basis <laughs> for selection is what i'm getting at now what's the breakdown of growth rates for the perth metro area there's some 404 suburbs in the perth metro i think around 100 suburbs had very little sales there's 222 suburbs that had less than 50 sales so i don't go into analysing any of the suburbs that have had less than 50 sales over the years. That was that cut out nearly half of the suburbs. Now, of the half that I think are worth analysing and we can draw you know, more conclusions from, there was a whopping 31 suburbs out of the 290-odd that had had over 20% or more change to, the, to their median house price. So that's pretty impressive. 31 suburbs have achieved over 20% change. There was 37 suburbs that had achieved 15 to 20%. There was a whopping 20, 73 suburbs that had achieved 10 to 15% growth. There was a further 52 that had achieved 5 to 10% growth. 25 suburbs that had done 0 to 5% and four suburbs that were showing a 0 to negative 5% change in median house price. So you can see just by how that's distributed, a majority sit in the 10 to 15% bracket, which I'd say is accurate. And then over, you know, 60, over a third have done over 15%. That's pretty decent as well. And you don't see that really reported anywhere of just how many suburbs have done well i think uh we had tim lawless on that was his hedonic index was i think changed 13 percent over the last year or 16 percent. i'd have to go back and check um but when we look at over a third of the suburbs that have are statistically relevant have done over 15 percent. that's pretty decent now, when I look at these bottom four suburbs as well, the ones that achieved the zero to negative 5%, I just thought, you know, let's take a deeper look at these because is this price change real? And this could be a real uh, exercise in seeing how things can be distorted because the suburbs that were in there were Shelley, Kensington, Riverton and Kalamunda. And there's absolutely no way that the typical house has not gone up in these very good areas over the last year. And so I don't know the exact reasons why it's distorted and not reflected in the median house price change for these suburbs. 
they all had enough volume of sales, but maybe people have been erring on the affordable end of these suburbs when buying in and not and the premium people have been holding on and not selling. And that would be one potential reason to explain. That's case in point that if you were an owner in these areas and you're just looking at headlines or just looking at the data, you'd think, oh, my house hasn't performed very well. Have I you know, made a mistake or for whatever reason? You know, and that's why you have to come back to the long-term averages and, and focus on what your specific property has done. The only way to tell is to get an appraisal and, and make exact comparisons to what other similar properties have sold for and what your prop market value is likely to be now versus a year ago. And that would be the only way to know. Of course, if you are thinking of selling, get in touch and I can give you an appraisal anywhere in Perth. Um, I don't usually have the time to do just general market appraisals. It's only if you're thinking of selling and or if you're uh, wanting to refinance something, I can certainly help out for an appraisal in that area if you want to invest again as well. Now, how have the different sub-markets compared? I thought it would be good to just take a look because there's 20 sub-markets across Perth. And that's basically a collection of lots of suburbs and it's done predominantly by the councils. Now, when I look at the top of all the 20, the top five were Cottesloe, which had 19.4%. Um, median house price change. And when we look at this uh, sub-market level, it can be a lot more accurate to compare year on year too because we're not just dealing with, you know, one or 200 sales. The Cottesloe sub-markets had 1,107 sales. So that is a lot more representative of just the individual suburb of Cottesloe, for instance. So 19.4% for Cottesloe. South Perth sub-market, 433 sales, had 16.3% growth. In change in median house price. Then we had Quanana with 15.2, Mandra with 13.9, and Mundaring with 12.9% change. So that rounds out the top five. At the other end, the worst of things, we had Sterling and Armadale. And Sterling showed a 4.3% change and Armadale a 5.2% change. So must have been a lot of other suburbs out in Armadale that didn't perform well as far as the median house price goes because Armadale itself as a suburb did very well. So I'm sure that's offsetting um, you know, some of the others that didn't do as well as far as the statistics go anyway. So that's the sub-markets. Now, boy, you can probably tell uh, if you've got this far in listening that it can be easy to get lost in analysis paralysis with the more you know potentially holding you back from taking action. So let's take a step back, shall we? How do I actually approach suburb selection to try to keep things simple and not get lost in analysis paralysis? I like to look at the 30-year average annual growth rates. Has something before a suburb performed over the long term? Does it have that same desirability factors that exist that are going to keep driving growth in the future? Yes, then that's the top-level way that I choose suburbs. Then I look at the specific properties I'm considering within the area and I've done a whole episode on my ideal criteria. I also look back at how that individual property is performed and I calculate the growth rate using the past sales of that property. So I want that growth rate to be above the suburbs growth, median price growth rate over that same, over you know the long-term 30-year period. So let's say if the area is done 6.5%, I'd want it to be more than that for that individual property. 
yes, you need to factor in things like if it's been extended or renovated, it's a lot harder to get a calculation. You can look at other similar properties in the area that haven't had that to know if you're on to a winner or not, if the growth is going to likely be above average. And whether or not the suburb does better over the next one to two years, to me, I guess, is nowhere near as important as to how it's done over the long term. So I don't place too much importance on the recent changes in growth. What I do look at for the shorter term statistics when considering an area is I check on the days on market to see that that's still holding low and not trending back up. That's the average time it's taking for a property to sell. I want to see that that's definitely still below 30 days and still holding low and not trending back up or increase beyond 30 days because then that would tell me that the prices are probably likely to start softening and I'd consider whether my timing getting into that suburb is right or not and if it maybe still is right if you're buying for you know a forever hold and you found the ideal property but it just depends you know how that sits in your longer term plan and is the volume of sales still strong find that out and how many properties have sold over the last year and look at the vacancy rate is that still tight and not trending up and you know preferably below three percent for vacancy and readily possible to find tenants So those are the three shorter-term stats that I look at to put alongside the long-term 30-year data that I look at. So these can all be good confirmations that the market's still strong and more growth is ahead. So I hope today's been useful. I hope I didn't lose you in the middle there. In summary, be careful how you use median house price uh, data. Be careful with the articles you read. There's a lot of things that can go into distorting it, but it can be a useful tool. And uh, if I can help you out with your suburb selection, get in touch for our buyer pack and I'll catch you on the next one.